We are glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. If you've been impacted by Fuel Church, share your story with us by emailing mystory at thefuelchurch.com. And to learn more about our worship experiences, visit our website at www.thefuelchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Fresh air. Someone say fresh air. How many opened your windows on Friday? You turned the AC guy off and you said, you get a little break. You get a day off. And you open up the windows and you sat in front of that screen and you said, ah, fresh air. Wasn't it refreshing? Wasn't it refreshing? It was refreshing for me because I had three kids. And when you have three kids, and if you've got more than three kids, I'm really praying for you. Because what happens is there's a lot of different, unique, different uh, smells that start to occur in your household. Things that you're not sure of. You're, you're just like, okay, that is really funky. I'm not sure why this bag was put here for the last three months. And then you open it, and you're like, okay, something died in here. Like, something is dead. Like, is there an animal in here? No, it's just your kid's clothes from the sleepover they had three months ago that they didn't tell you they got dirty, and they didn't tell you that they actually accidentally got skitties in there. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. And so, so Friday, when we opened the windows, it was like a breath of fresh air. I said, let's open all of them, upstairs, middle floor, downstairs. Let's get some air flowing through this house. And here's our thoughts behind this series. Most of us in our natural state find ourselves living in survival mode. We do. We find ourselves living in survival mode, and it's very easy to find ourselves living in this lifeless, stagnant state with absolutely no wind in our sails. But I believe inside every one of us, there is a longing for more, a longing to experience a breath of fresh air that will blow through every area of our lives. Because when this happens, it literally has the power to change everything. Fresh air is a tangible force that revives our soul. Our text for this series can be found in 2 Timothy 1, verse 16. A little context to the text. Paul is writing, he's the author of this book, writing to his spiritual son Timothy from a jail cell. Some would say jail cell. And he talks about how he has, is being persecuted in the chapter early on and how that everyone has deserted him except, let's read it, 2 Timothy 1.16, may the Lord bless, can anybody pronounce that? Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. If you're looking for a good Bible name for your newborn, this probably isn't it. John or Matthew or Jacob's probably my favorite, but um, Paul, you know, but Onesiphorus is probably not the way to go. I'm just saying. Um, they may get made fun of in class. May the Lord bless Onesiphorus and all his family because he visited me and he encouraged me often. His visits revived me like what? A breath of fresh air. 
And he was never ashamed of me being in jail. <laughs> Here's Paul, author. Here's Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Here he is sitting in jail. That was his often his position when writing the epistles. He was persecuted for Christ. He went from being one who persecuted Christians to now being persecuted himself, right? And here he is, and he talks earlier in the chapter how many people were persecuting him and not, not receiving the message of grace. But he said, there's one, one person, there's, there's one family, Onesiphorus. And, and when he came to visit me, it was like a breath of fresh air. I love this word revived in the Greek. We see here, it says his visits res- revived me like a breath of fresh air. That word revived in the Greek means he helped me recover my breath. He helped me recover my breath. You know, sometimes you need someone to help you recover your breath. Sometimes you are out of breath and you need somebody to come and encourage you. You need somebody to come alongside you in a hard hard time, in a dry, stagnant, lifeless situation and you need somebody to help you recover your breath. This church should be full of people who are helping others recover their breath. When they're found in their valley of life, we should be ones who rally around them and say, oh yeah, 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 he's like Onesiphorus, he helped me recover my breath. He revived something inside of me that I once had. See, I believe that most people in here are stuck, primarily primarily spiritually stuck. But maybe you find yourself stuck in a job, stuck in a marriage, stuck in a relationship. You're just stuck, and it seems like there's no way out. This term... um, There there is a term, rather, that I want to share with you, and it's actually a nautical term. It's a boating term, and uh, it's called the doldrums. Someone say the doldrums, D-O-L-D-R-U-M-S, the doldrums, and it really describes what I'm talking about today. It really describes our entire series, and I want to read out of the dictionary because it describes it so well. It says this, prior to the 20th century, all the sailors knew about one area that was to be avoided at all costs, the doldrums. Taken from the root word meaning dull or lifeless. The expression in the doldrums was used to describe the state of being bored and restless in a slump. Sailors then gave this name to a specific region along the equator where the weather always seemed to illustrate this lifeless condition. Because of the way the earth rotates, the currents and the clouds of the northern hemisphere literally collide with the winds and the weather of the southern hemisphere, creating an area of unpredictable weather, usually extending five degrees latitude north and five degrees latitude south of the equator. The doldrums are also known as the intertropical convergence zone. (laughs) Welcome to science class. Normal wind trades converge in this band along the equator and basically cancel out each other, creating a still, windless, dead zone. Their collision also produces convectional storms that result in some of the world's heaviest precipitation. Since there is no wind to move them along, just an air mass hovering overhead, these storms keep sailing ships Stuck in one place, the doldrums. Can anybody 
identify with being in the doldrums. I think most of us in here, whether you're there right now or just came out of there or maybe you're about to go there, can identify with being in this spot that seems lifeless, that seems like there's no fruit, that seems like I just feel dry. Have you ever felt dry spiritually? Like the person next to you is worshiping and crying and you're like, I feel nothing but indigestion from the pizza last night. Come on, somebody. Like you hear the word, but you're just like, it's just, I I don't know. Maybe just, I don't know. I don't feel anything. I pray. I don't feel like God is answering my prayers. The heavens feel like brass and they're just bouncing and coming right back down. I, I, I feel like I'm in the doldrums, this stuck, this windless, dull, lifeless, stagnant place in life. Maybe this describes your life. Maybe this describes your marriage. Maybe your family situation right now. Maybe your job. Maybe your spiritual life. I I believe it describes most of us go through this in our spiritual lives. I believe that. And and so I want to give you four stages here, real quick, of progression that we we find ourselves in with the doldrums. I'll give you four things real quick, and if if you want a little more content to these Four statements, then you need to listen to last month's series because I talked about most of them in that series. But stage number one, here's the progression of being in the doldrums. Are you with me so far? Someone say doldrums. Doldrums. Number one is you start faking it. You start faking it and you can't let anyone know what you're going through. You act like you got it all together, right? But reality is you got debt piled up. Reality is your marriage is about to break. Reality is you are depressed. Reality is you are hiding your hurt. You're faking it. And we're good at faking it. And we learned last few weeks ago that God can't fix what you fake. God can't fix what you fake. And what happens is we go through difficulties when we're faking it. And one of the worst things we can do is, I'll just put a bandage over it. And, 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 and it doesn't fix it, and it didn't heal it, but it just really, the bandage just produces all kinds of pus and, and scabs and infections and bleedings because, because all we did was hide it. We hid it with a flesh-colored bandage. Yeah, that's what we do, and we don't want anybody to see it. We don't deal with it. We just, we hide it. We hide it. And what you don't reveal to God, God cannot heal. God cannot heal. So that's stage number one. You start faking it. And then if you go on, stage number two is you put it off. You just put it off. You're like, tomorrow I'll do it. Tomorrow I'll change. I'll deal with this addiction tomorrow. I'll make it right then with that person that I hurt. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it then. Tomorrow I'll give God my all. But right now I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, not, I'm not ready really to, to, to sell all out. So what we do, we don't address the offense in our hearts today that will turn into the bitterness, anger, resentment, and frustration tomorrow. Because tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow's been 20 years for somebody. Tomorrow's been 30 years for somebody who never dealt with the unforgiveness. Now it's caused a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness. Hmm? Why put off tomorrow what you can do today? Right? 
That's stage number two. Stage number three, if we progress in the doldrums, is this. You just flat give up. I'm done. I'm done. I, I, I can't do it anymore. I'm, my marriage, church, God, hope, vision, the dream I had, I'm done. Throwing in the towel. You say, I can't do it anymore. You've lost hope. You don't see a way out. There's people that they, they don't see a way out because all they see is their perspective. That's why we have to get God's perspective because our perspective is warped. Our vision is not 2020 when we look at it through the lens of our perspective. That's why we have to go to God's word. That's why we have to not only hear God's word, but apply God's word in our life because it changes our wrong perspective. Hmm? You lose hope, and when you lose hope, it makes you sick. Physically, mentally, emotionally, you're sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Stage number three. Stage number four is this. You come to the ultimate decision, and you just die. You die. Some in their life. Some really do. Some, some take their own life, but if you don't die that way, some people die mentally. And they just, they, they're like zombies. This, these lifeless zombies walking around. They've checked out. Some die morally. Some die morally and, you know, who cares anymore? I'm just going to drink it up, smoke it up, sex it up. I don't care anymore. You've died morally. Your morals don't matter anymore. What the Bible says doesn't matter anymore. And you, you, you're, you're dead. So, some have died spiritually. And that's who I think I'm, majority I'm talking to today. Spiritually, you just, you, 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 you don't feel it. You don't feel it. You're just here to appease somebody. You come to church for your wife or your husband or because someone begs you to come. You're really not connected. You're really not worshiping. You're really not tapping into what God has for your life. You found yourself dead spiritually. You're not passionate about the things of God. Some of the great people in the Bible were in the same place. They wanted to die. Paul. Paul was one. We see the life of Paul, and even though he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament in the epistles, he, at one point he said, I'm under so much pressure, I just want to die. Have you ever been there? So much pressure that I just, I just want to end it. David, he had a moral death. Do you remember? Oh, the author of Psalms. We love the beautiful Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But the author of that chapter was a man who died morally found himself in trouble morally. Job's wife, my God, looked at Job and said, you're a worthless piece of junk. <laughs> Curse God and die. That's what she told him. Well, thanks for the encouragement, baby. <laughs> Dear Lord. I mean, wives, I know it's bad sometimes, but don't tell your husband to curse God and die. <laughs> this was Job's wife. Huh? Here's what we need. Here's what we need in this series. We, we need a breath, a blast of fresh air. Because the reality is most of us are stuck in the doldrums. There's no air pushing us. There's no passion. There's no zeal. There's no hunger. The Bible has a unique scripture, and we quote it a lot, but I don't think we understand what it means. Those who hunger and thirst 
will be filled. Now, if you don't hunger and thirst, what does that mean? You won't be filled. It's not a trick question, class. You won't be filled. So there is this, there is this wind that God wants to put back in your sail in this series. And, and, and I want to ask you to give me four weeks. I want to encourage you because I believe the next four weeks can bring hope, healing, and a new freshness to your spiritual life. Can we give God a praise clap on that? I titled today's message, that was introduction by the way. I've titled today's message, The Choice. The Choice. Because here's the reality. You could stay where you're at. You've made it this long where you're at. And in your mind, some of you think that. I'll just stay where I'm at because what, where I'm at has, it's really worked in the last 5, 10, 20 years in my marriage, in my finances, in my spiritual walk. Really, has it worked? Really? Have you ever asked a question? Am I lying to myself? Huh? Am I self-deceiving? Like, has it worked? Um, Because once we find ourselves in the doldrums, we have a choice on whether we get out or not, and it's our choice. It's not God's choice. It's not God's choice. Can I tell you, God will never make you be passionate about serving his son, Jesus Christ. He will never make you read the Bible. He will never make you grow spiritually. It's your choice. It's my choice. Now, Last month we had fun. This week we're going to go a little deeper. Or this month we're going to go a little deeper. I want to teach you some spiritual disciplines that we need to apply if we're going to grow on this journey following Christ. Right? Next month is for the unchurched. Next month. But this month is for you. Come on. Take your finger and say, it's for me. Come on. Some of you couldn't even do that. You're so low in the doldrums you can't even point to yourself. Come on, somebody. And here's what we must decide with this choice that I'm talking about. You can either do things externally and try real hard, (laughs) or there can be a transformation of the inner man, your heart, your heart. You see, when we try to do the external without anything going on in our hearts, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so the gospel, my friend, is all about a heart transformation, not a behavior modification. And so, so, so we think if I work on my behavior, then I'll get out of the doldrums. If I work on my behavior, then I'll be more passionate about the things of God. Not so. God always and will always want one thing from us, and that's our heart, because when he has our heart, he has it all. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The issues of life flow from the heart, the Bible says. They flow from the heart. God wants our heart. Someone say our heart. And so we change literally from the inside out. If God has your heart, your behavior eventually is going to line up. Well, I know so-and-so. They got saved four weeks ago, and they're still smoking and joking and token. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. They gave their heart to God. Now they're working on those behaviors. It it, it doesn't happen overnight. The transformation of Jesus being your Lord and your name written in the Lamb's book of life and you're going to heaven if you were to die is done. It's done. It's sealed. You're going to heaven. 
But now there's some behaviors that we got to work out. Hit your neighbor and say, oh, you got some things to work out too. Don't act so holy with your halo so crooked on your horns today. You, you got some things too. I feel like preaching today and I got like, are you serious, 10 minutes? That devil's a liar. Reset the clock. We change from the inside out. And this is what, this is what, and I don't have time to flesh this out, but this is another series, but this is what most parents do. They work on the modifying the behavior of your kids. When you need to get to your kid's heart, you need, you need to get to their heart. But I want to change them, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I believe in discipline, and I believe in uh, the rod of correction will drive foolishness from the child. It drove it from my rear end. Come on, somebody. I got that thing all growing up, man. I still got welts from dad. Thank you, dad. Appreciate it. I'm still in counseling, but anyway. I, I, I believe in that. I believe in that. But many times, we don't take the time to just sit down and say, hey, you know why that's wrong? We're, we're such in a rush to do the next thing. We just spank, we just yell, we just take away the screen, and we think it's good. No, it's not. You didn't get to the heart of the matter. So, 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 so you, got them, you got them fearful of some boundaries all their life. So then when they go off to college, what do they do? They go crazy because they don't have no boundaries because you never got to the heart of the matter. <laughs> some of you don't like this. It's okay. It's good parenting right there. See, I want to get to my kids' hearts. I want them to choose to serve God. I don't want to force serving God on them. I want them to see it in my life, in my wife's life. I I want them to see. Now, there is a point in their lives where Sundays, they ain't an option. Well, I just, I don't want to go to church. Well, you don't want to eat green beans and cauliflower and come on now, you don't want to take your vitamins. You don't know what's good for you. But there comes a point in that child's life where now they make that decision of I want to. I want to because you focus more on the heart than the behavior modification. This is good, and I'll probably listen to this podcast again. No? You don't think it's good? Okay. It's cool. It's cool. I'm confident in who I am. I, I really am. It's not pride. I'm just confident in the anointing that's on me. And so, so we have this choice. And, 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 and the Bible, the very first story of the Bible talks about a choice. The very first story with Adam and Eve, and there's two trees. Do you remember? There's a good tree, and then there's a bad tree. And it, it says in Genesis 2.9, out of the ground, the... Uh, ground made the Lord uh, to grow a tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life is also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16 says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. There was two choices in the garden, Adam and Eve. Guess what? They made a wrong choice, didn't they? Have you ever made a wrong choice? Yeah? No? Okay. You're good? Okay. I've made some wrong choices in life, right? But the good thing is, today, you can make the right choice. The good thing is, you can start out today. And you may find yourselves in the doldrums. And you may find yourself in this empty, lifeless situation spiritually. But you can make a choice. Now, mind you, Satan has always, from the beginning, the first chapter, and will always to try to get us to make the wrong choice from eating from the wrong tree. That's his assignment for your life. That's his assignment when you leave here. That's his assignment Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's his assignment. If I can get them to make the wrong choice, then I got them. I got them living in a lifeless situation without the presence and the anointing of God. I got them where I want them because I got them to eat from the wrong tree. 
He doesn't mind that you come to church as long as you keep eating from the wrong tree. You see, a whole lot of people in church, and they come, they hear the word, but hearing the word doesn't change you. Applying the word is what changes you. It's when you take the word and you walk from here and you apply it to your life. It's when you take the word and you kick pride out, you kick sense and reason out that says, oh, I really don't know if that's true, or oh, I really, I've been raised in church all my life. I know the Bible and you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I don't really care what the preacher says. No, no, no. It's when you apply the word of God, that's when change takes place. He doesn't mind that you come. He doesn't mind uh, if you're here. He could care less as long as he keeps you trapped in the doldrums. Why? Because Satan despises the life of God. He despises the fresh air that God has for you. But you see, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Say, the choice is mine. And then smile real big. Smile real big. Some of you are a little tense today. Just smile real big. Like Joel Osteen. Just smile real big. I get you to laugh. I knew it. So here's the choices. Deuteronomy 30, 19. This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you. I have set before you life, death, blessings, curses. Now choose life. Gives us a hint. He gives us some persuasion in the text. Now now choose life. Why? That it may be well with who? You and who? Oh, your ninos. Yeah. Your kids. Your children. Oh, the choices that I make affect my kids? You better believe it. Choices you make spiritually affect your kids today. The the choices you make spiritually affect your kids today. And so I want to show some of you some choices that are set before us, and then I'll get out of your way. I'm already over my time. I will tell you I'm going over my time today. How do you like that? Be set free. If you need to take medication, it's 1032. I want to show you some choices that are before us. Number one. Doing more or receiving what's been done. We can do more, try harder, or we can receive what's been done. We can, we can do more. We can, we can read more and pray more and do more good things and try harder. If I could just try harder not to sin. If I could just try harder not to have those lustful thoughts. And this is a works mentality that will not get you out of the doldrums. You can say all day long, I got to do, do, do. Or you can say, it's done. It's done. I rest in done. I rest in done. I rest in done. What do you mean done? Jesus did it all. I rest in the finished work of Calvary. That the price that he paid was enough for me to get out of the doldrums. And I receive what's been done. It was fully paid upon the cross. When you receive the finished work on the cross, you inhale a breath of fresh air and you exhale the bad, nasty taste of religion. That's what happens. And it takes your life. It takes your life from a, I have to, to a, I want to. I want to pray. I want to come to church. I want to tithe. Why? Because you worked on the heart of the matter. Not trying some external way to get out of the doldrums. You said, no, 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 I receive what Christ has already done for me. I'm stepping out of this stagnant position because the scriptures, the person behind the scriptures is Jesus. That's who we need to know. That's who we need to know. Huh? We need to know the author. We need to, we need to know Jesus. 
I think we can get a lot of head knowledge and get a lot of scriptures memorized, and that's all great, and we forget what the scriptures are all about. It's all about the finished work of Calvary. It is finished. It's finished. So choice number one, doing more, receiving what's done. What are you going to make? Choice number two, trying to get God's approval or receiving God's love for you. Oh, this is a good one. Trying to get God's approval or receiving God's love for you. Some of you grew up thinking that God was always mad at you, right? Some, some of you grew up thinking that. God's always mad at me, and uh, we think God doesn't like us, and we try to earn his approval. Can I tell you he already loves you? Can I tell you the Bible says in Romans 5 eight, while you were a yet sinner. Did you know you were a yet sinner? Not a yeti sinner, but a yet sinner. You were a yet sinner. Christ died for you. Before he knew your choice to the response of the cross, he said, I had them on my mind because I want them to choose life. I want them to choose blessings, but it's their choice. But I'm going to, in advance, pay the penalty. I'm in advance going to accept them in the beloved. They're my child. They're my children. And he said, I want you to know that if I had a refrigerator, your picture's on it. You're loved by God. You you, you don't need to try to get God's approval. You're loved by God. Now, Now, he doesn't like what you did, the sin you did, but he likes you. I'm messing some of you religious minds up right now. So I love it. It's like scrambled eggs up there. It's cool. We got to get that out. We got to get that works mentality, that law mentality out. And we got to get the grace of God in you because you'll never live to your full potential. You'll never live to your full potential until you realize God likes you. He doesn't like the sin that I commit, that you commit, but he likes you. You're approved by God. You're approved by God. You're approved. Some of you just need to hear that. It's like a breath of fresh air to hear, I'm approved by God. Hmm? Question number three. We can obey out of duty or we can obey out of delight. We can obey out of duty or we can obey out of delight. Some grew up like this. If you miss church, you're probably going to miss the rapture. Like, I'll tell you how I grew up. Like, I, I was into marijuana and drugs and I would get high. After I'd get high, I would repent because I didn't want to go to hell. I mean, I just got done smoking a big blunt, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins, and I went on and ate four Big Macs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hit your neighbor and say, it's okay to laugh. It's okay. You're, we're good in here. You're not going to get chastised. So, some of you grew up. Uh, my pa- uh, Pastor Demola, where I w- was in New Jersey, he-, he tells the story of the mourner's bench in church. And he grew up in an Italian Pentecostal church, right? And he says, he says every week there was this bench at the back wall of the church. And if the church mothers and the church elders and deacons, right? They usually go like that and all this shakes. If the church deacons found out about your sin, when you walked through the doors of the church, they put you back there on the mourner's bench. And everybody knew. Uh-oh. What did they do? Who were they with this week? Were those two to get? Uh-oh, snap. Yeah. Right? That's true, a true story. He told it all the time. And so what, what, what did that teach us to do? Obey out of duty. Huh? Some thought church was to be the most painful, enduring time of the week. Some of you treated church like a bad job that you hated. Right? 
It just like, is this ever going to end? Like, it's like going to the dentist. Praise God. Some of you went because someone made you. You didn't even want to be there. And then when you went there, all you seen was mean Christians. See, I never liked church people. I liked God. But I never really got down with some church people because they were mean. And I was like, if that's what this is about, like, I don't want to be that. Let me go get high, you know? Because my high people are fun, man. They're happy. They were sharing all the stuff with me, man. Here, take some more weed. Let's go eat. I'll pay for it. I'm like, well, why ain't church people like that? I get in church, ain't nobody taking me out to eat. Everybody mean and frowning. And man, I thought the joy of the Lord was our strength, not the frown of the Lord. Is this okay today? Is this okay? You want me to take off another week? We can obey out of duty or we can obey out of delight. You see, the Bible is hard. The Bible is hard unless you obey out of delight. And that's why the Bible is hard for somebody here today, somebody listening, because you, you're obeying out of duty, not delight. Not delight. When we obey because of love and not out of duty, love is the byproduct to obedience. When you love, the byproduct is obedience. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? When you love, when your heart, when you make the choice to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, the byproduct is obedience. I love this scripture, and we're wrapping it up. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey what I command. And there are two sides to the comma on this. If you love me, comma, you will obey what I command. And some of you are on this side. If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you obey, and you've been taught that. If you love me, you obey. And then there's the other side of the comma. If you love me, you obey what I command. It's easy. When you love me, it's easy to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's easy. We, church isn't an option. Paying tithes isn't an option. It's easy. I love him. I'm in love with him. I'm obeying out of delight. But some of you are on this side. If you love me, you will obey what I command. You need to get over here. If you love me, you'll do what I want. You'll do what this word says. It's not going to be hard for you. You got to make the choice. You got to make the choice. Jesus is saying, do you love me? It's very easy, church, to respond to God with the external and not the internal. And many times we do that, and it leads to frustration, discouragement, depression in our walk with the Lord. Because we, we think trying harder and doing more is the answer to a breath of fresh air. And it's not. It's the internal matters of your heart. When we do make that decision, when we make that decision from our heart, as we find ourselves in the doldrums, find ourselves out of breath, stuck and stagnant, all of a sudden, a breath of fresh air sweeps in to our life. We make the choice. We make the choice. Jesus, I want you. And here's, here's my fresh air principle. I'm gonna give you four of them, one each week. Fresh air principle number one. It's, it's real, you gotta be a theologian to get it. Fall in love with Jesus. You gotta go to Bible school to get this, but some of you are gonna grab it. Fall in love with Jesus. That's the fresh air principle number one. 
Make the choice. Make the choice to get yourself out of the doldrums. Make the choice. It's your choice, not the church's choice, not my choice, not your husband, your wife. Make the choice, sir, to stop coming because she wants you to. Make the choice, ma'am. Just because your kids come, you feel obligated. Make the choice to fall in love with Jesus. Return to your first love. Oh, you lost something. John wrote the letter to the church. He said, ah, Jesus has somewhat against you. You've lost your first love. Return. Return to that first love. And then that's step number one to getting out of the doldrums. That's step number one to falling in love with Jesus. Well, I've just been saved 30 years and I really know what it's all about. No, you don't. There's always more with God. God hasn't revealed himself in all the ways he wants to in your life. He hasn't given you revelation that, uh, yet in your life that you've seen. He, he wants to speak to you. He wants to bring a refreshing to your spiritual walk. It doesn't have to be dry, stagnant, and lifeless. He wants to breathe the fresh air of the Holy Spirit into your life, your marriage, your finances. And he wants to do it today. Fall in love with Jesus. Simple, but hard to do. For many of us, because of the choice. Because of the choice. Some of you are going to have to switch off some learned behaviors of the past some from, from some bad theology that you had. From somebody, from some church that taught you about a works mentality to be right with God. God has always and will always want one thing from humanity, their hearts. Because when he has your heart, <laughs> when he has your heart, it changes everything. Hey, thanks for listening today. And maybe you're out there and maybe you feel far from God today. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. You've taken some wrong turns. You've messed up. I'm here to tell you about God's love for your life. You know, it's real and it's for you. And, and no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, God is there. His love is unconditional. And, and the Bible says that if you just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're saved. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer, and I just believe that if you say this prayer, mean it with your heart, the Bible says you're saved, and I want to encourage you to tell somebody about this decision, but just wherever you're at, just say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, come into my life, change me, in Jesus' name. It's simple as that, and I encourage you, find a good local church. If, if you can get to Fuel Church, get here. God is moving. God is doing some great things lives and families of the people that come here, but find a good church where you can grow in God. Until next time, God bless you. Have a great week.